0: And today we're going to look at something very interesting, which is Jesus's first interactions with his followers, his disciples. Um, And so turn with me, uh, if you will. Well, actually, I'm going to put this first um, scripture up on the screen. This is from the Gospel of Mark, actually, Mark chapter one. Some of you may be familiar with this passage. It says this, as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. But when he'd gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Now, when you read that passage in the Gospel of Mark, uh, you get the impression Jesus didn't know them, right? Jesus is just like, walk on the beach, Sea of Galilee. Hey, is these guys in a boat? I think they'd be good. And he yells at them, and they're like, sure, sounds good. I'll just leave my whole family, my career, everything. We'll just follow after you. And um, I've heard actually many a sermon sort of preached in that direction, like, uh, wow, what amazing faith. They just dropped everything and followed him. I'm not knocking those sermons. Lives have been changed by those sermons, I'm sure. But John gives us the backstory to this moment that they already knew each other. This wasn't the first time Jesus met these men who were fishing. He knew them. So John gives us sort of the, the, the uh, moment when they first got to know each other. So that's what we're going to look at today. Turn with me to John 1.35. John 1.35. We'll follow it from there. If you're um, not familiar with the layout of Scripture, the Gospel of John is the fourth book in the New Testament. It's after Luke. It's before the book of Acts. John 1.35. What I love about the Gospel of John, if you were here with us last week, the the prologue, the opening to the Gospel of John is this very lofty picture of Christ. It's very theological. It's very, you know, this this huge picture of who Jesus is, like the eternal creator Christ, like come to earth in the flesh. It's this amazing poetic prologue. And I love that you you read that and then you just kind of switch here to this very human moment of like Jesus meeting his disciples and like talking to them for the first time. And so that's what we're going to look at, starting in verse 35. It says this. The next day, John, that's John the Baptist, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. So this is a moment that's like a transition moment, right? John the Baptist had his ministry that was a prelude to Jesus. He was out there baptizing people, saying, hey, the Messiah is coming. The one you've been expecting is coming. He's on his way. He's going to be here soon. Follow me, and then I'll let you know when he arrives. So, that, so John has his own disciples. And... They're, they're hoping for salvation they're, they're, they're wanting to see the Messiah And they finally see what they're waiting for And John the Baptist points to Jesus and says That's him He's the Lamb of God And Lamb of God is Old Testament speak For uh, the Messiah that would one day come And would be the sacrifice on behalf of everybody's sins And so uh, if you're taking notes Highlight this phrase uh, They followed Jesus So they were following John They were disciples of John Jesus arrives Now they follow Jesus. So they were seeking him. They were seeking Christ. They were waiting for him, anticipating him, and and here he is, so they're going to follow him. Let's keep reading. Verse 38. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? Uh, I want you to highlight that question he asked. What do you want? This is the first exchange, recorded exchange, of Jesus and, uh, and his closest followers. They, they come after him, and, and he asks them, you know, what do you want? Now, he already knows. You know, when God asks you a question, he's not seeking information. He knows everything. So when he asks a question, it's, it's really trying to get you to think about you. And um, so it, the, I feel like the meaning of that question is really more along the lines of, why do you think you're following me? What do you think you want from me? And this is his first question to his disciples. And I think it's a challenging question for us, too, as we think about our own lives following Christ. Why are we following him? Is it to make our life easier? Is it to achieve some goals? Is it, you know, I just want to sort of get into heaven, you know, punch that ticket and be on my way, live my life how I want? Why are we following him? Or are we seeking after him? Because we want to seek him. We want to be with him, have a relationship with him, and we want to embrace the life that he wants to give us and the calling he has on our lives, both now and in eternity. So he's asking them, you know, why do you think you're following me? Let's see how they answer his question. Let's keep reading. They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. So, highlight a couple things here. Highlight Rabbi. That's, this is their response. And also, where are you staying? So, he said, why, why are you following me? What do you want? Why do you think you're following me? And they, they said, Rabbi, where are you staying? Now, Rabbi was a term of respect. Um, so, th- even just calling him Rabbi was saying, We are looking to submit ourselves to your teaching and follow you on your terms. Um, where are you staying? That was not just looking for information, like, did you find a nice Airbnb in town, like, just looking for recommendations. That's not what they were going for. That was an expression of devotion. Where are you staying? In other words, I want to be where you are. That's the language of discipleship here. I want to be where you are. And Jesus' response, highlight this. He says, come and you will see. Come and you will see. Now, I think there's a double meaning there. I think he's saying, okay, I'll show you where I'm staying. I think he's also saying, come and see who I am. Come and see your own life in a new light because of me. In fact, I think he kind of means by that, come and I'll give you sight. I will show you the truth about yourself and me and the world. Now let's keep reading, verse 40. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Kephas, which when translated is Peter. Okay, highlight a couple of things. Highlight the name Andrew. I want to make sure to keep track of these names. All right, so, so we're told at the beginning that two disciples of John followed Jesus. Now we find out one of their names is Andrew. Andrew uh, does three things immediately after finding Christ. Highlight these words, find, tell, and brought. He went and he found his brother, Andrew found his brother, Peter. He told him about Jesus and then brought him to Jesus. You know, he didn't keep it to himself. He didn't just sort of casually mention it like, how was your day today? I was fine. I found the Messiah. How was yours? Um, He said, I've got to tell you who I found. And by the way, you're coming with me. And he brought him to Jesus. And I love Jesus' response when, when he meets Peter. He already knows him. They're meeting for the first time, but like he knows who Peter is. He says, you are Simon, son of John. That was how... Uh, Peter would have been known in his family, in his community. That was the way the names were in first century Israel. Um, so you were known you know, by uh, whose child you were, Simon, son of John. Uh, and then he gives him this new name, Kephas, which is an Aramaic word. That was the language they all spoke in first century uh, Israel, Aramaic. Kephas means rock. And then the Greek version of that is Petros, Peter. So, so they basically mean the same thing, but it means rock. And so highlight that name, by the way, Peter, at the end. I want to keep track of these names. So Peter there. And Jesus knew Peter, and he knew what he would become. He, I want to give you a nickname, Rock. I know who you are and who you're going to become in following me. And you know, what I think is wonderful about that is Jesus knew all the ways that Peter would disappoint him. <laughs> and he didn't say, you're Simon, son of John. We'll see how it turns out. <laughs> I'm going to be watching you. No, I see who you're going to become. I'm going to give you a name that's reflective of who I know you are and who you're going to become. And it's, it, I just love these early encounters because they show us just so much of what Jesus was like in the nature of his call and what he invites us into in his mission. Um, and, and this kind of, you know, as I was reading this, it really wires into um, the discussion of the fact that we are launching a second Sunday morning service here next month on March 22nd. And um, I want to just share a little bit about our thinking along those lines just for a couple minutes. Then we'll go back, finish this passage, and talk about application. But I think especially what Andrew did is so relevant here. You know, we started this church three and a half years ago, and we, we uh, planted this church to do what Andrew did. Right To find people in this community, there are many, who don't know Jesus, to tell them who Jesus is and have a place to bring them, to invite them, especially people who have doubts and struggles about God, about the church. That, that this is what we started this church for, and praise God, our church has been growing and God's been changing lives and really um, just exceeding our expectations in so many ways. And so over the last like year or so, we've been praying about and talking about the possibility Of launching a second service and and doing a lot of reading, uh, you know, in kind of sort of church leadership circles, what does it look like to shepherd a church that's growing? And basically what they say is, um, across the board, is when the room that you meet in starts consistently being around 70% full, it is time to launch a second service. um, To keep the church growing and healthy, it's really a moment to be proactive rather than reactive. Um, And and really, there's kind of two things that are accomplished by adding a second service, um, uh, launching a second service. Externally, having another service is just more opportunities for people to attend. It's just another option. If 10 o'clock doesn't work right now, then people just don't come. But if there are two options, that, that really makes a big difference internally, it's more opportunities for people at Real Hope to lead, to serve, um, and it's another, oppor- it's another service to invite people to come to. And so it's really this moment to spur ourselves on uh, as we continue to reach out and try to uh, impact this community and share the gospel. And launch is really the right word. Uh, we're not just adding a service. Adding a service is sort of like, oh, it's you know, we're running out of room, we, you know, i I don't want to sit next to these people. I want a little more space. Let's add another service. That's not really what launching another service is. Actually, it won't work very well if we just take who we currently have at our church and just divide into two services. That's not really how uh, launching a second service is meant to work. Um, Because the new services, they're going to be made up of people who currently attend this service it's going to be made up. We, we have an earlier service on Sunday morning for the people who are cur- right now serving with our kids and students. So they will be in one of these services. Also, the students are no longer going to have a Sunday morning service. They're going to have their own thing on Wednesday nights. So the students are going to be in here with us, which I'm super excited about. Um, and then, most importantly, new people, making space for new people. And so we're, we're putting together plans to have uh, kind of a social media campaign along this line. also, we're sending... 20,000 invitations through the mail to the 20,000 closest homes to Adolphus. So we're really putting some energy and some effort into this. Um, and I think it really goes to the heart of our church, too, because when we do something like this, it is a tangible thing we're doing to say it's not just about us who are currently here. We're here to find and serve people in our community who don't know Christ. And by the way, when we split you know, and have two services... There will be some more space and some empty seats probably uh, early on, and that's an accountability measure for us to look around and say, there are people out there who need Jesus and who are struggling with all kinds of things, and we want to fill these seats. I'm really excited. It's going to be kind of like a mini throwback to the launch era. For those of you who are around during the launch era, you know, it was really thrilling just to see our church come to life and, and to have this moment of going into the community like Andrew did and say, come and see, come and see who Jesus is. If you've never heard of him, if you grew up in church and you're disillusioned with church, you have big questions about God, you don't feel have been answered, this is a place you can come and explore that. Um, so, you know, I look at Andrew and what he did, and it's just such an inspiration to me. Uh, and I think on a church level, we can sort of view ourselves as doing something similar by adding this service. Um, let's, keep, let's go back to the passage, verse 43. This is the last little section we're going to look at. So, so far we know uh, Peter is following Jesus, Andrew is following Jesus, and another disciple. We didn't get that person's name. Um, and now we're going to, Jesus is going to meet a couple more people. Verse 43. uh here's another name we get so peter andrew now philip key difference though jesus found him look highlight this jesus said follow me so in in the previous instances these men are following jesus He says what do you want and he says come and see in this case he just goes and finds philip because jesus was seeking after him and then philip goes and finds nathaniel highlight nathaniel Um, And and there's his famous response, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Highlight that. Poor Nathaniel, like forever he's known as that guy, like he had that response, like, you know, give me a break is basically what that means, like, you know, it's just a a cynical mindset of, you know, God wouldn't show up like that, come on. We're talking about God, he's going to show up in Nazareth, like, no, I don't think so. It's very hard to believe. Sounds very modern to me, Nathaniel's response like, come on, please, you know, it's, it, it, it's, it's, it's just that, 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 um, just, re, you know, instant reaction of doubt, and cynicism, and, and that sort of thing, I've interacted with many Nathaniels, I've had my Nathaniel moment, some of you might be having a Nathaniel moment right now, or a Nathaniel season, I just made that up, Nathaniel season, trademark that, um, but look at Philip's response. I think this is really important for us not to miss, right? So Nathaniel's like, come on, give me a break. Like, this is obviously not God. Nazareth, please. And then look at Philip's response. Um, he, he doesn't get discouraged. Um, he just says, come and see. It's a very Christ-like response. That's what Jesus said you know, previously when the others were following him. He doesn't write Nathaniel off. He doesn't say, okay, I guess it didn't work and move on. He just said, hey. Okay, you don't believe me? Fine, come and see. And then Nathaniel gets the same treatment as Peter did, right? Like Jesus already knows him. Like I know you, and uh, and then he has this interaction with Nathaniel about, you know, uh, you're going to see greater things than this little mini miracle I just did of telling you something I couldn't have known. Um, but I love that response from Philip. Come and see. All right, let's talk about application for a second. All right, looking at Jesus' initial uh, interactions with his followers, I think there's several key lessons for us that tell us something about who God is and also the calling on our lives because of who he is. Um, so the first one is this. Jesus invites us to seek him. Jesus invites us to seek him. Right? He said, come and see. When those first two disciples were following him, where are you staying? He says, come and see. You know, He's inviting us to follow after him, to seek him. And then the other side of that coin that's so important, too, that we see in this passage is that Jesus seeks us. You know, he doesn't just invite us to seek him, and that's the end of the story. He's also always seeking us. I love in the New Testament, Jesus says, you know, knock and the door will be answered. He's inviting. And then in Revelation, he says, I stand and knock at the door. So that 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 that. Simultaneous picture of Jesus always seeking after us and inviting us to seek after Him. You see this right here in the first interactions with Jesus' disciples. And then thirdly, I love this one, especially when thinking about you know just the life of our church. Uh, God seeks people through us. You know, He enlisted Andrew to bring in Peter. He, en- he enlisted Philip to bring in Nathaniel. So God, you know, God's overseeing the whole process, but he he wants his people to be involved in drawing others to himself. He invites us into that. He wants us to see that up close. And so he works through us. The next thing, this is a summary of Andrew's approach that I think is so good. Find, tell and bring. Andrew's example, this is a a simple model for sharing Christ. You find people in your life who don't know Jesus. You find them, you identify them, you tell them about Christ. Uh, Again, you don't have to be a theologian and like make a perfect argument from the New Testament. You just talk about how Jesus has changed your life, what what God means to you. And then you say also, you know, come with me. I want to take you to a place where you can grow and learn as well. Find, tell, tell. And bring it's a it's a wonderful uh example for us as we think about sharing christ as individuals and also as a church family and then finally i think this is the lesson from philip and nathaniel don't be discouraged by doubts or cynicism don't be discouraged by doubts or cynicism you know for those of us who are christians when we tell people about jesus some people will push back or blow you off it will happen or they will think, you know, okay, like, I've had a hard day. Like, please don't bring this up. I don't want to go there. Like, these conversations do happen. And 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 we shouldn't be discouraged by that. We shouldn't take that personally. We shouldn't view that as a reflection on us or think, well, gosh, I just did it wrong. You know, they would obviously be having a thriving relationship with Jesus right now if I had just remembered that one scripture. No. You have to trust God is at work, and he's going to use you. He uses us even as we sort of fumble for the words The Spirit works in spite of our words. He just works through relationships. And so don't be discouraged. There will be people who are doubtful about your claims. They are cynical. They think the church is just corrupt. They think Christians are all hypocrites. Yes, people believe that. But that should not dissuade us from sharing Christ. Um, You know, and I mean, again, like Philip's response, of just, okay, come and see. See for yourself. You don't have to take my word for it. Come see for yourself. I do want to say also I think this applies uh, to those of you, there may be some in this room who who are not Christians. Um, Don't let your doubts or cynicism dissuade you from exploring the biggest questions in life because these are the most profound questions in life. And just because you're doubtful or you had a bad experience in a church or a Christian was mean to you once, has no bearing on the answers to the fundamental questions of life and purpose and reality. And so, you know, even if you feel doubts and cynicism, that shouldn't lead you to say, well, I'm never going to look at this. You should. You know, if that's you, if you're a Nathaniel, I want you to know Jesus has invited you to seek him. And not like after you get all your questions answered— like, well, I have to get all my questions answered and be absolutely 100% sure on everything, then I'll come to Jesus. No, he says, come, and come to me with your questions, with your struggles, with your doubts. Find answers. Come to me with them. And as you learn more about Christ and encounter more of him, I believe you will discover, as the disciples did, that he knows you and that he's been seeking you the whole time. And God's not afraid of your doubts and cynicism. He says, come and see. That invitation is there for you. Come see who I am. Come see yourself and the world with new clarity through me. Uh, One of my favorite quotes um, from C.S. Lewis, the famous atheist turned theologian, uh, he once put it this way. He said, um, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen. Not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. So Lewis was saying the proof that Jesus is real was not only that he looked at the evidence and the historical you know, background of the Gospels and all that, that's like the sun rising. He can point to it and say, okay, I'm convinced by that evidence. That was only part of it. The other evidence of the truth of Christ was that when he came to Christ and embraced him and realized how much he was loved, his whole view on the world and himself changed. He had a whole new lens, and he, he just experienced the truth in his life. So don't let your doubts and cynicism keep you from exploring and and coming to Jesus and discovering who he is. Now, for those of us who are Christians, I think this passage of of Jesus' early interactions with his disciples, it's profoundly encouraging, right? I mean, he seeks after us, and he invites us to seek him, and he uses us to draw others toward him because I think he wants us to experience the joy of watching lives transformed. You know, he's not like, no, I got this, you guys are, you know, you guys are good, you're saved, and then just, you know, live your life, and I'm going to do the, the, all the amazing stuff over here of, of transformation, you don't get to see any of it. No, he wants his church, his people, to be involved, and to be on the front lines of seeing lives transformed. He invites us into that. I mean, that's really the, the basis of, like, our mission statement as a church. Our mission statement is, we exist to join Jesus in his mission to transform lives. It's his mission. He wants to transform lives now and for eternity, and he has invited us into that. And so we as a church want to join him in what he's doing, and we want to see up close as he changes lives.